Thank you for tuning into Sochcast. We hope you enjoy this uninterrupted listening experience. But before that, please do listen to these messages that come from those that support your favorite show. Raj Naik's talk show Fridays Live features high-profile guests from various walks of life who engage in a free-flowing and inspiring chat with him. Welcome to Fridays Live with me, Raj Naik. I have with me a very, very special guest. She is the director of All India Management Association. Prior to which, she spent many, many years, almost two decades, with the CII. Uh, a lady who. brings positivity to wherever she goes she hobnobs with who's who in the industry and more importantly ever since she's taken over aima she has managed to turn it around she's credited by uh, of uh, leading that institution giving it a much higher reach uh, making it financially more profitable and more importantly she's introduced some courses in, into aima and uh, she's always thinking on her feet wanting to do new things uh, a senior professional who spent many many years uh, i will i will let her do the talking so let me introduce you none other than the director of all india management association rekha sethi rekha hi raj hi oh nice to see you rekha <laughs> i love this pink outfit of yours actually it's it's a deep red but i guess it's showing us pink on the screen i love it too so i wore it to bolster my courage while talking to you <laughs> you don't need to bolster my courage it's the other way around i bolstered enough courage to get you on this show and uh, thank you for agreeing to be here uh, it means a lot and uh, you know i have been watching your journey i mean uh, on and off and uh, tell me i mean uh, i know more, more of you as an industry professional uh, but very little about you on your personal life so probably i'll start with going back and asking you Tell me a little bit about yourself and your childhood, your beginning, your family. You know, Raj, this is perhaps the first interview I'm giving where I'm talking about myself. I said yes to you, and then I've spent many weeks trying to <laughs> wonder how I can get out of it, and then telling myself, "No, why not?" You know, he's just—he's not going to eat you up. He's just going to ask you about yourself, and you haven't done anything which might get you into trouble. I hope. So here I am, um, born in Delhi. Schooling, Springdale's in Delhi. College, St Stephen's College, Delhi. All four jobs, Delhi. Family, most of the friends in Delhi. I travel a lot. I mean, I, I have been traveling before the uh, lockdown uh, almost every week, but always come back to Delhi. So I guess I'm a Delhi girl at heart and core. Uh, so you're talking to maybe you're a Bombay and you're talking to a pure Delhi girl. Uh, I love Delhi. I love I, Delhi. I always like coming back to it. I am not a Bombay. I mean, <laughs> that's a nice phrase, Bombay. <laughs> uh, I'm from South India, but I've lived my life in Delhi, in Mumbai, in Bangalore, in many parts of the country. So I'm a global citizen, as you call it. Uh, Wonderful. So you'll be less judging of the Delhi people than. No, I'm. I, I, always I, this, always this clash of, you know, between the Delhi and the Bombay uh, clubs. the delhi people can't find a better place than delhi and bombay feels you know delhi is too artificial with too many uh, vvips uh, hobnobbing there so <laughs> i guess it's uh, good to get a neutral uh, moderator today yeah so uh, i don't judge people now it doesn't matter whether from delhi or from any part of the world 
I believe that you shouldn't judge anybody because when you don't know enough, uh, it's wrong to judge. So, so that way you're safe. So that way you're very safe. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your childhood. I mean, your parents and stuff like that. So I come from a quintessential middle-class family. We lived with my father's father and mother, my grandparents uh, in Delhi. Um, a very literate family. My father and my grandfather were both professors in history. Uh, my grandfather was uh, the professor in Punjab University. Dad was in Karorimal College. Very keen that I should also go into the same line, but uh, I wasn't going to. My mom, my grandmother um, at that time, which is many years back now, was an MA. Um, my mother was a graduate. They were both housewives, but uh, very liberal atmosphere in the sense, very forward-looking. Between me and my brother, my grandmother preferred me. Maybe because I was less naughty, but uh, she preferred girls, which was very unusual at that time. So actually, I, I had a blessed childhood. Uh, we always had enough, never too much. That taught us the value of money. That taught us that, you know, there's much more to do in life than, you know, one needs to think about the future. But we never wanted for anything. Um, my maternal side, my grandfather was the private secretary first to Nehru and then to Indira Gandhi. So me and my brother were actually born for people who know Delhi uh, in a very big bungalow in Talkatora Road. <laughs> so <laughs> that used to be normal in those days, but I still wonder how my mother had the guts to do that. But anyway, so uh, my um, grandmother was a housewife. Um, like I said, lovely childhood, grew up. Uh, I was always a good student. Um, I knew what I wanted. I never wanted to do science. I was horrible at maths, terrible actually. So I was just waiting for my 11th class to start so that I could take humanities and get on with it and get into St. Stephen's College. My dad was from Stephen's. So I was really, really keen to get into the college. And he said, look, don't expect any help from me. You need to do it on, my, on your own. I got the percentage to uh, go to college. And I think that was my first dream come true, literally. Uh, you want me to go on? So yeah, I finished college yeah. and then I, you know, I came from that time when girls did their college. We had a, it wasn't a very protective upbringing, but it wasn't, um, you know, nobody told, put it in my head that I needed to have a career. Except my mom who always said that, you know, you need to get married, but um, you know, you should work first. She said, I always regretted not working, even if for a short while. So that got me off to my first job, which was uh, the Center for Management, uh, Center for uh, Development of Telematics. It was run by the iconic Sam Petroda, who is often yeah. referred to as the father of telecom. I met him all of 21 and, um, you know, he was very different. He was, he, he had lived in the US and the US culture was very informal for us, you know, being working in office meant yes sir, no sir. So I said sir to him and he said, what are you serving me for? Call me Sam. So that set the tone for uh, my two years there because uh, it was like being out of one campus into another. A lot of young IIT engineers and, uh, um, you know, great company, great friends I made there. Worked there for a little over two years. Frankly, I was drifting. I mean, I, I was just waiting for Mr. Wright to come get married and have someone <laughs> take care of me. <laughs> so then I joined the UDI Yellow Pages. Um, 
they were the people who brought in the first yellow pages into india yeah i know but i think my um, my outlook uh, towards life changed when uh, i joined cii again that was also um, on the spur of the moment i went for an interview i still remember i mean i feel so embarrassed when i think about uh, the answers i gave them and you know they asked me what you know what kind of salary are you looking for and you know when i think about it i said oh enough to cover the petrol in my car so, <laughs> i was quite sure that i wasn't going to get the job but i did and i think it changed my life because cii was not just a job it was a culture it was very exciting you know we were told that um, we need to deal with household names like bajaj and kirloskar and uh, godrej one felt one had come to a different world but uh, you know soon found out that it wasn't such an easy world because there was zero chance of any mistakes so exciting world a glamorous world but um, i think very high stress job i should, i would say so so how many years did you spend at cii i was there for 17 and a half years i thought i'll never leave they would have to take me out kicking and screaming but i think whatever happens happens for the good so 17 years in cii and i think uh, you done almost 13 years or 14 years in all india almost 13 aima yeah 13 yeah so yeah. so so that's 30 years of interacting with industry leaders you know household names like you mentioned uh, i grew up with them yeah you grew up with them yeah 30 years is a long time and uh, when you're interacting with them on so many fronts so many different areas uh, and uh, So how does it feel? I mean, what are the things that you picked up? What are the things that you learned? Oh, it shaped my entire personality. Uh, one thing I'd like to say, Raj, that uh, you know, while you're dealing with CEOs and you're dealing with very senior people, I think I always had my feet on the ground. I never, uh, for me, it was a great learning experience because making sure that I delivered to their satisfaction was not easy. But if you did that. you had achieved something but i always kept uh, i think a certain distance you would like you can say um between my members and myself because i i felt as a professional i needed to keep that distance but having said that what i have learned from them is how to run an organization which i'm running now i still remember when i was planning to leave uh, uh, cii for aima Mr Rahul Bajaj had called me and we had a long conversation and he was telling me giving me all the reasons as to why I should not leave and how what I was doing at that time which was handling mega events like India at 16 New York and uh, the Davos event and our annual huge trade fairs so I I kept giving him reasons as to why I should and um, I did ultimately and I still remember year afterwards uh, he met me at Taj Palace in the lawns there and he said uh, you know Rekha I was wrong and you were right you did the right thing leaving and you're doing a great job I think it takes a very big man to say that say something like that after he had been trying to persuade me not to leave and telling me that would not be the right thing for me to do so I learned that you know it's uh, it's never a problem to say that uh, you were wrong Yeah, I mean, always. Uh, I think gives you more respect and stature. 
and uh, Mr. Rahul Bajaj, of course, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I've always been. Uh, Amazing I don't person. I don't know him personally, but uh, I've seen him speak, and I've speak seen, seen him speak his mind, and uh, you know, candid. And for him to also, you know, it shows that's 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 the that shows stature. You know, when a person tells you, "Okay, absolutely. I was wrong, you were right," you know, I was sold for life. I mean, I was absolutely sold. But I was always very fond of him. I think he was amazing, amazing speaker, amazing CEO. He was my president when I was there. Uh, he was the only, uh, I think, CEO to be president of CI twice. But I think that day onwards, I was his fan for life. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. So, so let me ask you. I mean. Uh, when a person of that stature that uh, magnitude you know uh, sits and chats with you and tells you why you shouldn't leave right it's not easy it's not easy in many which ways right i mean you're emotionally connected you respect the human being and uh, so how did you tackle that situation because it's not easy i mean you're saying no to somebody right i see it wasn't personal uh, i was leaving because another ceo thought that i could do better at ima which was sanjeev goinka he is the one who brought me into ima he was taking over as vice president of ima and he thought that i would be perfect for the director general's job i had frankly raj never aspired for the top job i was very happy in cii doing what i was doing and i was good at what i was doing which was you know organizing some of these mega events and dealing uh, internationally i was very happy but i think he also made me understand sanjeev goinka that i needed to move on i needed to grow and it made sense to me um i remember countering uh, all the uh, points which mr bajaj made by what i was actually doing in cii i was handling these mega events which were like none of them were less than say 20 30 crores in that you have to manage finances you have to manage people you have to manage outside stakeholders uh you need to deliver a perfect event so i said i said look ima is not as big as cii the budgets probably are what i've handled in cii so i have i have handled uh, you know finances for these mega events all on my own i've handled people i've handled egos so i'm quite sure and i've handled my own stuff because you know i i believe that you cannot move forward you cannot do well in life without people supporting you without it being a team effort and that was for me the most important thing going forward so i said if i can do it for a big mega event in cii i'm sure i'll be able to do it in ima not to say that i was as confident as i was sounding now i was really scared and i was like of course you know again thinking am i doing the right thing should i stay back but i guess you know when something is meant to happen it happens and i moved on so when you joined ima i mean uh... and you have been credited with a lot of things the way you uh, the way you uh, got the whole institution evolved after you joined uh, what were your Im- immediate hurdles so what were the immediate tasks at hand you know i was uh, in my mid 40s when i joined as the head of uh, ima um i was a woman and i was from cii and i think all this worked against me in a sense because somehow the ci women had a reputation of being uh, you know i don't know why but glamorous and very uh, outgoing i don't think i was any of those things but that's the um, 
tag I carried with me from CII. Uh, so the first question I got asked actually was that are you going to bring the CI culture into IMA in almost an accusatory tone? So I said, look, I don't even know what the IMA culture is, so I'm not quite sure what culture I'll bring into IMA. But I know one thing: whatever I do in IMA will be from the heart, and uh, I'll give it my best. So I joined IMA. Uh, I had a staff who was uh, more used to we, my predecessor, two predecessors, in fact, for major generals. So they were very used to a very different style of working. And I've always had a very informal style. I mean, for me, I don't stand on occasion. You know, I started my career with C dot, which was very Americanized. So first name basis, and uh, generally, I would go and talk to anybody. Here, I was. I found that um, even email was something which was not used. So there's a very interesting story attached to it. So this was one of the big problems because you can't run an organization which doesn't use emails, even though it was 13 years back and email was just coming in. So I got these big files with the typical government notings that you know, and pens along with that, green, red, black, that you need to give an approval with green and reject with red. I said, guys, it's not going to happen. You want an approval? You send me an email. Otherwise, it won't happen. They thought I was joking, and I was kidding. And then I had this huge pile of papers piling up on my desk. I said, "It's okay. You want approval? You send an email." And I think within a few months, uh, there was a complete turnaround. And email, of course, I mean, IMA has gone way ahead as far as the digital revolution is concerned, which you know we really found out in the last one year of lockdown. So we have come a long way in 13 years, and it's the same stuff, it's the same people, and what a journey that they have had. My what I did was that when I joined IMA, I made sure I didn't bring about any major changes because I didn't want my colleagues to think that you know here comes a new broom, and she is here to sweep everything clean, and she thinks that she knows it all, and we've been working here for so long. So for six months, I did nothing. I never told them that don't do it this way. I just showed an alternate way of doing, and very bright people in IMA, wonderful staff, wonderful secretariat. They saw that that you know that way worked, and they adapted it. So uh, I think those were some of the issues I faced. Of course, you know, being a woman, being a much younger woman than what the members were used to, um, there was skepticism. Uh, people did wonder what I was going to do, but. I thought, let my work speak for myself. Let me not try and convince anybody that you know I can do the job. Let me do the job, and then let let them decide if I can do it or not. And I think that worked well for me because once things started changing, uh, once Ima started uh, getting on a new life, I think what I inherited was great. I inherited a very solid organization from my predecessors. We were financially very sound. We had excellent people. We did excellent work. But I think we didn't really market ourselves well. So that's what I changed. So, so tell me. I mean, for a lot of people who probably are neither members of IMA or neither members of CII, what is the basic distinction between these two organs? Uh, there is no distinction as far as members is concerned, and that really helped me because, like I said, I grew up with all these CEOs. So most of the um, key company CEOs are members of CII, and they are members of IMA. But I think one of the biggest differences between IMA and CII is that we are a Not for lobbying body. We do not lobby with the government. Our main job is to ensure that we, um, you know, help the companies uh, in developing management capability uh, in their organizations. 
and I have been very careful to stick to my mandate because we have a CII, we have a PICI, we have a NASA CHAM, you have three apex bodies, you don't need a fourth one. But I wanted to excel in what our mandate was, which was management. So we work closely with the CII and PICI, we don't compete with. And you know, now CII, PICI, ASOCHEM, they all have, uh, uh, they all have colleagues from uh, CII. So PICI is headed by uh, an ex-CII colleague and so is ASOCHEM. So that makes it easier as well, right? And because you're- It makes it easier, yes. But you know, you have to, I mean, even if they were colleagues, if we were competing, there would be a problem. But I didn't want to compete because I wanted to, you know, follow through on the mandate which was given to me. I think India has enough apex bodies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> too many I would say in some cases. Well, so I didn't want to be a, you know, me too. I wanted to be the only one in management. So we are the only one, we are the apex body and we have 68 local management associations all over the country who are affiliated to IMA. So you'll find a, you know, Madras Management Association, a Bombay Management Association, a Thrissur Management Association, even in small, uh, you know, uh, cities and towns, you'll find a management association and they're all affiliated to IMA. They follow our governance rules. But financially, of course, they're, they're independent. independent. They're financially independent, but they're yeah. all, uh, yeah. yeah, it's like having chapters. It's like having chapters. But a certain governance uh, norm binds us all together. Which, which, which they have to And we work together, of course. We are the we are supposed to be the big brother. <laughs> and uh, of course, some of them are very good. And they also help the others. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a good setup. Great. Uh, you mentioned uh, about leadership, right? I mean, uh, I know a lot of people at IMA, people who work for you and they swear by you. So tell me, what are your leadership qualities? I think... What has helped me is something which I believe in that for me, my staff comes first. Even when I joined, I wanted to gain the trust of my staff because I'm a firm believer that, you know, a single person cannot bring about change. Me, my, by myself, I'm not simply capable of bringing about change. I need the entire organization with me. So I actually genuinely feel that all my staff are like my family and you know, when you're sincere, I think people understand that. And the kind of uh, relationship that I have with my staff is, I think, worth its weight in gold, really. I mean, it's one of the best things which has happened to me. So I think as a leader, you have to make sure that you carry your team with you. Second, you know, you need to have the you know, confidence in yourself and that security, that secure feeling that your staff is not competing with you. If you build them up, they can only help you going forward. They'll help you, they'll help the organization. But if you try and hold everything close to your chest and say that, you know, I'm not going to share anything because somebody else might be brighter than me, then you can't run an organization. So I think for a leader, it is very important to delegate. Very difficult to do because you have certain standards. Uh, not everybody can, you know, work up to those standards. But at times you have to let go. You have to choose your battles. Uh, third, I think while you have a certain relationship with your staff and you know you have a lot of empathy with them, you cannot lose sight of your goal. You have a certain, um, you know, you 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 need to make sure that your financial goals and you know your um, your work goals are taken care of. So there can be no let up in that. 
so while you have a great relationship but you i i always tell my staff look let's separate the personal and the professional if you don't do something if you don't uh, fulfill what you're supposed to do you'll get fired guys so don't expect it all to be you know happy happy and goody goody but that's my professional part it doesn't mean that personally i have anything against you and i think they understand that and uh, like i said earlier i think i have a fantastic team yeah you did mention i mean basically if i had to just make a mental note you met, mentioned trust you mentioned delegate i mean it's most difficult thing to do yes uh, which is autonomy and uh, and the last thing you mentioned is empathy let uh, me add one more very important point which a leader should have decisiveness i think a leader who doesn't take decisions because you frankly can't be right 100% of the time you will be wrong sometime but you create a worse chaos when you don't take a decision when you're scared of taking a decision and i learned of course uh, learned this from my you know some of my earlier bosses and i've always uh, said that you know take a decision 99 out of 100 you'll be right 1% you're not we'll see so i think that's another very important trait a leader has to have i mean if you get 99% right then you're a genius i mean you know okay 90% <laughs> yeah. you absolutely no, but, no, right. no, but 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 it's fine i mean very true i mean if you're working somebody said this to me as well once you know if, if when people are working and when you make a decision you'll make right decisions and wrong decisions and absolutely and 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 that decision is right or wrong is only in hindsight absolutely that moment absolutely. But, but at that moment you're doing what you think is right based on the facts that are available to you and based on your knowledge and uh, yeah i mean sometimes you may go wrong but at least if you don't take a decision if you take a decision the chances are there is at least some probability that you may get it right if you don't take a decision you're not doing it anyway it's it's wrong you right? said it you said it yeah but so i think that's the fourth very important point the leader has to have like this sochcast tune in for more with the sochcast app from the google play store tell me about i mean such a huge journey great experience but if you had to go back and look at your lows and highs what are the two things that come to your mind um you talking about my career or my life you can interpret the question the way you want okay if you're talking about my life uh, i think the biggest low i had was losing my dad and at that too at a very young age i was in my 20s So I guess you know all those four years of drifting from one job to another um I grew up the day I lost him he was only 56 and suddenly I felt that I was an orphan and suddenly I grew up and I suddenly realized the meaning of family I realized the meaning of parents and I think that is something which really changed me as a person so that was one of my lows um I don't think I've had a major low as far as work is concerned. I mean there there is no uh, you know there's nobody who hasn't been through ups and downs of uh, careers. But to call it a you know call something which has really taken me down so badly I mean if I compare it to losing my dad I don't think there's been anything like that in my career. But there have been plenty of times that I've gone and cried in the you know ladies toilet as I was <laughs> growing up in uh, CIA that used to be the favorite place for all young women to go and cry if their boss said something to them so that has happened in plenty um i'm i mean i've had my low periods and i'm also when things don't go my go my way but i don't think i have been through a touch wood a low low 
As far as highs are concerned, uh, I've had, I think every year is a high when your work is appreciated. Uh, Ima has been very good to me. Uh, I worked hard, but uh, I think I've got a lot of appreciation. I think one of the highs was uh, when I got my first board position. Um, and that that too with uh, Sun Pharma Industries, which was and is one of the leading pharma companies. I think at that time, it was, it was the fifth largest generic company. Uh, I'm a company in the world perhaps it's the fourth now I'm not sure I'm still on the board um and that was an interesting incident I remember getting a call from Dilip Shangvi's office and um I had met him briefly at uh, one of the events organized by the Baroda Management Association I remember I was introducing Mr Narayana Murthy and then I was introduced to Mr Shangvi somehow in my entire journey of CIA and IMA I had never met him and uh, i really liked him i mean i we spoke for barely 2 3 minutes but very down to earth and uh, very simple person uh, i got a call from his office and uh, he wanted to meet with me somehow that didn't work out then i uh, got another call saying that he's coming to delhi and he'd like to meet you in your office and uh, i was quite excited uh, my, my i have a one track mind where i'm as concerned i said great guy to have an have as an ima president going forward so i somehow need to get him to come into ima so you were working with the agenda that you want to get him as ima president always always <laughs> i mean for me the agenda was always ima so he came and i gave him a full spiel on ima i mean i just was at my very best and carried on for at least half an hour now when i think back think back about it my god the poor guy had a lot of patience so he heard me through he did not interrupt me and uh, then he said uh, i said i hope you'll uh, you know join ima and uh, maybe one day take on a leadership position so he said rekha right now you know we are going through a lot of expansion and uh, maybe a few years down the line and my heart sank i said oh okay so then he said he said uh, you know the reason i'm here is that i'd like you to join our board it took me some time to really you know digest what he was asking me and generally i'm a very impulsive person i would have just said no 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 i can't join any boards i don't understand uh, anything about uh, you know the intricacies of uh, running a company but good sense made me keep quiet and uh, i said i'm flattered but i would need to take permission from my board my board is of course i'm lucky that it is complete comprises of some of the top ceos in the country so i um, i said i'll get back to you and i spoke to my board and i was like floored by the reaction they said sun pharma excellent company pg imr should definitely be on the board and i remember the board meeting that we had and the entire council you know clapped for me and i said oh i i'm probably doing something right <laughs> and <laughs> they had joined the board of sun pharma industries uh after that i joined the cesc board which is um, rpsg group which is the San, uh, sanjeev goenka group in calcutta uh, i joined the spencers retail board you know spencers supermarkets yes and uh, i'm also on the hero steels board so that was i think that meeting was perhaps one of the highs of my life because it changed the direction of what i was doing uh, dramatically so uh I mean it's wonderful to be on different boards and uh, especially now it's also mandated that you have to have women on boards right but tell me in your 30 years of this journey uh, how has 
professional behavior towards women evolved or changed have you seen a change you know i was very lucky uh, cii did not really make a major distinction and now when i think about it probably there was some distinction between men and women but no major ones i was the first uh, woman head of trade fairs which is uh, which has been always considered the bastion of men uh, of men because it involves late hours it involves dealing with contractors it involves dealing with a whole lot of people that women generally don't like to deal with uh, i was also the head of all their international mega events so i very honestly uh, didn't really feel this um, you know this distinction but it is there i mean just because i haven't gone through doesn't mean that it's not there uh, even after joining ima i realized at times that during a board meeting a council meeting an ima board meeting if i would say something which some of the people did not agree with it would be seen as emotional but you know what i was saying was making sense so if it had been a guy in my place probably it would have been seen as oh he is on the ball so there are differences but luckily for me uh, raj i i've had uh, i i've dealt with some wonderful people and i don't think i can say that i have felt that but i've talked to a lot of people i go for a number of conferences and part of the asian association of management organizations so i meet women from uh, uh, different parts of asia i we do a lot of work with the us so i've met a lot of women there so i know it exists i mean i can talk a lot about it because i have um, you know attended a lot of uh, gender diversity and gender parity conferences but if you're talking to me as a person i have been lucky not to have faced it too much i and did like i said i was the first woman director general i think of any association so uh that's nice to hear what is the composition of women members in your association at the moment um maybe 50 50 fifty, 50 50 yeah, percent but most of the associations would have close to 50% women i think it's a job which women like doing more than men <laughs> oh it's interesting yeah yeah even cii or fiki they would have a large percentage of women maybe 40% 40 to 50% no, i think talking, that's the norm no i'm not talking about the people working in ima i'm talking about their oh, members that's a that's a big challenge i've only had one past president in preeta reddy who was a woman um i have been called out actually a number of times when i've done conferences and they've said oh you know you being a woman director general you don't have a single woman as part of the conference um so it is an it is an issue it is an issue because you know let's face it unfortunately there aren't that many women at that level when we do these conferences i sometimes try i get very frustrated because while we are trying to get women on board you have to make sure that you know you keep to a certain level so while we have like i said i've been called out on that and uh, i have actually taken that feedback very seriously and now we have started uh, ensuring that we make a separate list of possible women speakers and we have enough women speakers um it is an issue because there aren't that many at the top yeah i'm i'm going to come back to it in a while but i must tell you a little story uh, i used to go on a many of this uh, panels right and uh, never registered to be men women it never registered you know it was just that okay you are being invited and you had the time or you went and things like that and one fine morning uh, 
my daughter sent me a she lives in the US and she sent me a message a nasty message dad how can you be doing this and i'm like what am i doing wrong she said it is manals it's not a panel it's all full of men you can't be going on a manal where there's no women representation and it it stuck me like a lightning you know and i have two daughters and i'm ruled by women my wife my daughters everybody i mean there are more women in this house than i'm probably the only man uh having said that i actually made a conscious decision and i put out a tweet saying this is what my daughter said and henceforth i will not attend any panel where there is no women representation and i absolutely so, agree and it so happened that a year later there was a panel i didn't check with them normally i check and when i got the mailer and the poster and i saw my photograph no women i called them and said i'm not going to be part of it and they were like sir you won't believe us we had two women confirmed and they dropped out and we just can't find women leaders because like you said they also want to have certain parity in the uh, it doesn't matter to me who's sitting and talking next to me but there are many others who will make an issue you know of uh, who's the no, you see as as an event organizer i can understand that because you know you have to have people uh, with the same kind of mindset with the same kind of level of thinking so but i absolutely agree when i was called out on this i felt quite bad you know they don't understand uh, you know how difficult it is to put together a conference get the right kind of uh, speakers to come in but then i thought i said this is good feedback i'm getting and i'm obviously doing something which is not gelling with my audience my larger audience so i need to change myself so we are trying it is hard <laughs> i i can tell you it's it's not always easy to get the right person to fit the slot but like you i am trying although i'm not saying that i won't do any panel <laughs> without a woman because it's simply not possible for us to do that because we do so many events but point well taken and something that i have my entire uh, events team focusing on like this sochcast tune in for more with the sochcast app from the google play store so so coming back to this whole thing about not enough leaders in uh, uh, in in top position in companies what is ima doing to influence companies saying that this is something that they need to look at this is something that needs to be done because you have to have women you know we all speak about women empowerment and we speak about diversity and inclusion and things like that but what is ima as a since you're a management organization what are you doing i mean to influence in this area so what ima what ima does is apart from uh, our education uh, vertical and our testing vertical we do a lot of events and conferences uh, we do research so as far as events are concerned like i mentioned to you we are trying to make sure that you know we have women uh, participate in that we have separate uh, events focused on you know what issues women women may be facing uh, when they are working uh, we are also uh doing research with different organizations on how it helps a company to do better to have more women on board because i think ultimately a company looks at its bottom line and it has been proved again and again that having women directors on boards and uh, more women working in an organization actually adds to the bottom line so i think you can't really uh, hit somebody on the head with it and say that you need to have women but i think you need to work and continue working on proving to them that having more women on board 
and having more women working for you makes business sense so i think that's what aima is doing so tell me a little bit on your education uh, you just mentioned your education vertical what exactly does that so aima is the pioneer as far as distance education is concerned uh, we started our online courses in somewhere in the 70s and uh, aima was perhaps the only organization doing that uh, we were the only online organization which was uh, certified by uh, the education regulator uh, or aicte uh, we delivered a course uh, on uh, postgraduate we did a postgraduate diploma in management which was certified by aict and for many many years in fact till the till perhaps 2 years back we were the only online program certified by aict then they realized that you know things are changing and online education is something which uh, the government needs to focus on so they have got now lot many more uh, online programs which are certified by uh, the regulator apart from that uh, we realized that uh, you know uh, we times are changing like i said so we need to move away from traditional teaching while finance and marketing and um, you know uh, these a- uh, operational areas are the basis of any course we also need to look at new age courses uh, artificial intelligence data analytics sustainability esg so these are all new areas which are coming in and uh, these are the areas where we need to concentrate so we are just launching in fact uh, on new co- courses uh, we are launching one on sustainability uh, one on corporate governance one on data analytics and one on artificial intelligence and uh, blockchains and we keep adding to all these uh, new courses as we go on depending upon what the industry wants uh we also run uh, you know we are we are in partnership with the aligarh muslim university we do we do a phd program we do a whole lot of uh, you know programs with industry we are working with the world bank on a, a very good program on procurement uh, which is uh, widely appreciated by both public and private sectors uh, we have done uh, joint programs with icici wealth management with wiley So we have a very very active education uh, vertical which also looks after research. Uh we have just launched uh, India Case Research Center. We want to be the repository of all cases uh focusing on India in the country. Um while we are doing cases with Anima and uh, we have tied up with the uh, the case center in UK to ensure that uh, the quality of the cases which are coming out are internationally uh, you know at international levels. uh we have also tied up with many uh, indian institute of management and some of the other leading these schools to uh, you know uh, have a uh, to have them join the india case research center and we direct a lot of the internet traffic to them uh, from people who are looking for a good india case so like i mentioned at the beginning the aim is to be the repository of all indian cases uh, in the country interesting very interesting So now I'm going to switch gears. I think we've spoken about Aima. So tell me, what have you been doing during this pan- during this pandemic? Have you been going to office? Are you working from home? How's it been? We have been working from home, and we have completely transformed and digitized Aima, and I'm very proud of it. In fact, uh, somebody told me that you know you should have a case study written on it. So once uh, we actually um, uh, started working from home at least a week before the lockdown started. so we were prepared because uh, you know everybody had their laptops and all the data had already shifted 
uh, we had shifted to work from home mode and the pandemic uh, happened and it, it, the lockdown was announced a week later so we were in a pretty good position but at least for about 10 15 days we were just drifting we were wondering what to do uh, we i mean i knew we had enough financial surplus to last us for some time but uh, you know that was not what i wanted to do i wanted to use it as an opportunity to bring about a drastic change in the way we worked so we decided we are going to turn all our revenue streams into digital revenue streams so i focused first on those revenue streams which brought us the maximum revenue which was our testing division i'm not sure if you are aware but we run the largest test of its kind for entry into business schools called the management aptitude test i have more than you know 100000 students taking it every year wow so there was no way that we could do the test in centers because uh, of the pandemic so within uh, i think it was a space of 5 weeks we converted the entire process into internet based proctor uh, remote proctor test so a student can now sit at home be proctored by a remote proctor and a student can take the test and it is a lot more uh, difficult to cheat <laughs> while you have somebody watching you from your camera and we have been talking about that for a very long time but it took the pandemic to push us into getting that done and then we uh, started uh, looking at how we could do digital interviews uh, we went in for digital evaluation now we are offering these services to all the business schools and the universities because i think it's going to become a way of life it makes things easier for everybody it's a lot more economical to do and i think as of now people have no choice but to go in for uh, you know digital measures so i think our testing division is now completely digital while we will have uh, you know physical tests going forward once god willing things are okay that's my that's- question to you sorry for interrupting that's my question to you going forward why would you have physical testing centers because isn't this more profitable because you don't have to really travel put people on on the field and things like that and you're right the it same is result. it is but you know imers function is more than just making money i mean we make generate income because you cannot uh, you know bring in new technology without having money to do that but our main uh, role in the in the country is as the national body for management uh, as we are recognized by the government as such is to ensure that we bring in more and more people under the management umbrella so there are a lot of students in far flung villages and uh, you know small towns where internet connectivity is still a problem there is a digital divide in india still so um, you know you'd be surprised when we uh, moved from a completely paper pencil based test to a computer based test i said let the markets decide let's not take a decision that okay now we won't do physical tests paper pencil tests we'll only do computer based tests let the market decide and then we moved to this internet based proctor remote proctor t- test and i said again said the same thing let the markets decide but surprisingly still 50% of the students prefer to take the physical or the computer based test sitting in centers because they don't have that facility at home so i think our job is to ensure that we cater for all walks of life and uh, as things get better the percentage of students taking the remote proctor test or the computer based test keeps growing Yeah. so we would do that and such a thing is what we did digitization is what we did with our other divisions also 
all our events have gone online. We used to do these fantastic retreats in Goa. It started on a Friday, ended on a Sunday, and we had. I'm some sure you're missing that. I'm sure those. you're missing that. Raj, <laughs> I can't begin to tell you how much <laughs> we used to do them at Taj Mahal, one of the most beautiful spots in Goa. Yeah. And uh, it, these are small retreats where you didn't have more than 20 25 people and some of the top CEOs addressed it. And the USP was that you could spend more time with the speakers. So obviously we couldn't do these retreats in Goa. So we converted them into something called the business unusual series. So we looked at a number of topics like strategy, innovation, HR, marketing, digital marketing and you know companies had doubts in their minds as to how to move forward. so we used the same format we said we had ceos we had top experts come and talk to these uh, 2025 groups of 2025 but over a as a series so we did one program every saturday for six saturdays so you know this way we have turned every single uh, revenue stream of ours into a digital revenue stream so some of it will continue in fact most of it will continue even after the pandemic but some of the international programs which we have not been able to do uh, we would obviously be uh, going back to the physical format especially for our global advanced management program which we do in the silicon valley every year yeah now that's great like this sochcast tune in for more with the sochcast app from the google play store so how have you been spending your time i mean how is work life balance working from home i mean do you manage your like weekends do you work on weekends or it's all blurred now the lines are actually it's all blurred i think it's the same for everybody but i did learn to cook <laughs> <laughs> it took me that many years to learn to cook i bought an instant hot pot which is now one of my favorite means of cooking because you can put stuff in it and it just cooks on its own and it's delicious so that's my biggest achievement while sitting at home but uh, work has been hectic I mean, it's not been easy, you know, shifting an entire the way an entire organization works from physical to digital. But um, we are reaching there. We thought things will be better. We were even looking at opening up in uh, perhaps April when the second wave hit us. Yeah. So the first quarter has been a bit of a write-off, but I'm optimistic. I'm positive. and uh, like i said i i've been speaking to your people and they're all very happy where uh, and they say that you're a great leader so coming back to this question what does happiness at work mean to you happiness at work is having a team which respects me is committed and makes its targets yeah if the team meets their targets that's happiness at work for you i'm uh, you know if if my if the team meets its the targets given to it so it takes care of my what i'm supposed to deliver because they deliver ultimately it's not me who's delivering and a happy team is i think one which will deliver also so as far as happiness at work is concerned a lot of it is to do with my team and our targets in equal measures in equal measures and what does happiness mean to you on a personal level i think i have realized after the pandemic much more than i did earlier perhaps it was always there but i realized happiness to me means being with loved ones and seeing that they are safe and healthy and, and i think the pandemic has taught all of us uh, the value of family much more than perhaps anything else could have yeah and i'm very clear that for me now family is family comes first and that's happiness 
that's happening. Of course, I think this this has taught us the value of you know uh, people have. I think probably post. I'm hoping that you know people have learned gratitude. People have learned uh, uh, like you said, family, being with your loved ones, and you know, and uh, not sweating the small stuff. I think that is something Absolutely. that uh, everybody has learned during this thing. Uh, we do sweat the small stuff at times, but you know when you. I'm sitting here in an air-conditioned room talking to you. There are many who don't have that, and that's a great reminder that we need to be grateful for where we are. Since you touched on this topic, I mean, I would like to just close by asking, what is Ima doing to influence again? I use the word influence because you have so many corporates as your members to exactly address this issue of what you just mentioned. You and I are sitting in AC's rooms. We are privileged, and we have thing to 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 try and do things for the underprivileged. I think uh, Ima doesn't really need to do that for the corporates because one, you know, I've seen that Indian industry is frankly very very aware. They are never the ones to shirk when it comes to a pandemic or a you know a crisis in the country. having worked with the ceos having worked with industry i can very confidently say that they are doing everything they can you've seen so many uh, companies have announced uh, you know what they are doing for uh, families of uh, those who have lost their lives to covid and uh, i think this is one area where ima doesn't need to remind the companies and the other thing is that most of the companies who have the resources are all they also have huge csr budgets and i think most of the csr budgets are now being directed at uh, covid relief i know i am on the csr committees of some of the companies and uh, covid is of course you know a major uh, um, area that companies are looking at so i think companies are doing well they are doing a good job they are taking care of the employees and they are going beyond that to take care of what the country needs if you look at the tatas you look at the mahindras I think there are examples everywhere, which is a good thing. I think they don't need reminders from industry associations. They're doing a great job. Rekha, that was wonderful, wonderful talking to you, and thank you so much for spending this evening with me. And uh, I wish you a healthier and a happier year ahead. Thank you so much, and the same goes for you. I think uh, these days the best wish we can give somebody is the wish of health. So wish you a healthy and happy year going forward. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much, and we shall stay connected. Thank you, Rekha. Wonderful, Wonderful speaking to you once again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this Sochcast. What is your Soch? Send us your comments on our Facebook page and Instagram page. It's time for you to do your own Sochcast at Sochcast. अपनी सोच दुनिया को सुनाओ. Sochcast.